Bragdongerthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 154th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for September and October 1986, progs 487 to 490. This time, uh, Judge Dredd deals with crime in Atlantis. <laughs> The will the wildebeest attack in Metal Zoic, Nemesis meets the Monads, and uh, Strontium Dog's Path of Rage reaches its conclusion. Dude, so many shoulders. Oh no, no shoulder survives. It's really, Path it's really true. Man, he just really <laughs> doesn't like shoulders. That's what I learned about Johnny no. Alpha. Listen, shoulders got to. If, if, if you're a bad guy's shoulders, you better back up because Johnny Alpha is on the warpath, buddy. <laughs> it's beautiful. If you want to read along with it, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread: The Complete Case Files Ten, Strong Team Dog SDHC Files Three, The Complete Ace Trucking Volume Two, Nemesis: The Warlock Book Two, and the Sooner or Later Collection. And then there's the um, Metal Zoic graphic novel, but that's not like conventionally purchasable, as I understand it. Oh, um, what? Yeah, it's weird. Well, you know, it was like this thing that like DC put out a billion years ago, and I guess they have the. Uh, have the rights to it is my understanding all right you know i mean like we said last time if you look in the little like on the page in uh, metal zoic they yeah. have like a copyright thing from dc comics is sort of printing it sort of with an agreement with them i guess sure it's awesome anyway yeah oh yeah anyway fox <laughs> let's go let's get wet with through one judge dread let's deep dive into this mystery yeah, about, let's uh, fuck up some mantas. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, these corpses will be swimming with the fishes. Let's pack a little kid in a suitcase and go to Judge Dredd. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's fantastic. I think, you know what, Conrad? I think you and I should pack a child into a suitcase and then read some Judge Dredd. I mean, you know, like we can put the the kid in the suitcase next to the kid in the coffin as we head oh, into the space no. wizard, right? <laughs> Just a, a slowly amassing a, oh. a collection of boxed children. It's you know? true. I mean, we put we put one on trial for the Hague already. We've we've mm. effectively trapped two, and all the other ones have been killed. Oh yeah, eaten by way. dinosaurs. Really? <laughs> like I'm I'm just reflecting back on just like children in 2000 AD. I don't have a the good only time. good kid in 2000 AD is young Johnny Alpha, buddy. I think we can oh, all agree on that. I thought you were going somewhere way darker. <laughs> No. The only good kid is the Br- dead kid in 2018. I mean, that's mostly true, and I'm counting Bradley in there for uh, future Ooh. readers. Not a fan. What? Anyway, you'll see. You'll see. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, script robot. John Wagner and Alan Grant is T.B. Grover. Art robot Brendan McCarthy. Cliff Robinson. Then Robin Smith. Lighting robot Mark King and Tom Frame. Man, so it's, we're conti- it's time to yeah. go down a, a weird tunnel and ditch some bodies. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. This Atlanta storyline continues, and we, and we, Brent McCarthy is doing the art here. Is, is really goes really nuts with just staccato movement here, mm. like like incremental movement. There's tons of individual frames in the opening of this comic, as we see uh, the killer Eric Jekyll getting rid of his most recent victims. This opening page has 17 panels in it. It's ridiculous. That's nuts, but it's really beautiful. It's pretty. 
Yeah, I mean, it really like kind of gives you a sense of like claustrophobia in the pipes underneath, in, in the tunnels underneath mm. Atlantis and stuff. Um, so this time he takes his time getting the coral mantis to eat the bodies so he doesn't like risk a human body being found by tourists. And then like, like a really gruesome act. They show the dead bodies and their bloodied up mouths and then their dismembered pieces. Yeah. Definitely. I think it's interesting because I think some of the graphicness is hidden just by the fact that it's a big mass of like blood and like water and like foam and sure. stuff. But it is pretty crazy just what's going on here. Um, blah, blah, blah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, he thinks he's safe, but the judges are investigating. They check the bodies they found last episode finding cyanide in their systems or in his system. And that points straight to the tunnels where Eric <laughs> works. So he thinks he's like safe. And the judges are like, well, we got yeah, him. That was, it was my favorite part. <laughs> it was just that fast. Can't hide. <laughs> No, well, I mean, you know, there's only so many sources of poison in a given place, and uh, I think Atlantis, unlike Mega City One, is a much more closed ecosystem. So you and really have tight dire need of, of cyanide for cleaning tunnels. I mean, I'd imagine like kill rats and stuff. Oh like yeah, that. that's right. They said or rats. Other, other pests, you know, gators, etc. We've seen terrible <laughs> things, and we'll see terrible <laughs> things in the sewers of Mega City One. Yeah, remember those giant albino gators that Red fought? Yeah, sure. I also remember the giants, like, uh, ants. That's how you got away from them, was the sewers. Well, yeah, because they can't, you know, I mean, listen, you go different things for different <laughs> monsters. You, know, you can't, there's no one-size-fits-all way to escape from a monster, Fox. Like, come <sighs> on, you know. You try to climb a tree, that werewolf climbs up right after you, buddy. God, uh, <laughs> there's really nowhere to hide. <laughs> no. So... <laughs> Meanwhile, Eric and Audrey Jekyll are trying to figure out what they're going to do, and they decide to escape Atlantis with their mutant son, Leslie, in a repair sub. Of course, he's too mutated, he's kind of like a wolf boy, to go undisguised, so instead they hide him in a big suitcase, They like, and, the, and, the, and like Eric, the dad, like has to like force him in there, and he's a real jerk, and then kind of like apologizes to the locked suitcase, because things are, tension is getting pretty high in the Jekyll household. It's, it's a, it hits close to normal family life, and way very much so yes this is very uh, like 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 you'll do as you're told god damn it sort of situations <laughs> <laughs> the judges are closing in on the family as they escape at the tunnel facility they bump into a guy on a hover scooter and leslie's knocked out of a suitcase revealed as a mutant and eric draws a gun. gasp wolf boy and a gun <laughs> oh that's a bad day at the tunnel control man <laughs> The Jack, the Jekyll family steals a sub and the judges are still in hot pursuit. They take off with a hostage, Commander Gill from the uh, tunnel section. I love this helmet. Context is, I mean, there's a lot of good helmets in here, man. And like, McCarthy draws a really wide dread helmet or a judge helmet generally. You know, you see it a little bit in these, um, in these, especially the Britsit helmets, but just generally, like it's something to look out for when McCarthy's drawing is like just how his his helmets sort of transition from sort of a bucket to like <laughs> like 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 a like a wide bowl, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's like a salad bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from soup bowl to salad mm. bowl, if you will. Um, <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> So um the so so Dredd comes on the comms and basically says like you know there's no escape 
I mean, it makes sense. Like they're sort of in a sub. Presumably, it has a tracking satellite. The only or or a thing, and the only place they can go is like other bases. You know, like, like other like Justice Department outposts along. What are they going to do? The like Atlantic live in a submarine the rest of their life? Hell no. I mean, it's and it's definitely not a big enough submarine to even contemplate that. You know, this is no uh, no uh, Sequest DSV, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, fantastic anyhow so they start they start to bicker and i love this as they're bickering because as they go they're just sort of admitting to various crimes and, the, well, and everyone's just sitting watching other. just like yep <laughs> what the heck? yeah like like the judges are literally like what the heck <laughs> is going on here um anyhow because of this they aren't looking where they're going and the sub crashes into a wall and just uh explodes basically everybody including the uh, hostage is swiftly devoured by the coral rays if they don't drown first or are crushed by the uh, immense pressure yeah or like uh poisoned by the black atlantic you know it's a real countdown to how you're gonna (laughs) die if you're sort of if you're sort of exposed in the deep just kind of spin the wheel of torturous death Absolutely. The judges toss the Jekyll's apartment. They find evidence, of course, they were robbing and killing people to pay off a doctor that was blackmailing them with their mutant son. There's just a real fun image here of the Britsit judge yeah. sitting on the on their on their like zebra striped couch with his like his leg crossed that I thought was pretty funny. He's so casual it's a, about it's it. It's the guy in the foreground that I thought was interesting, where he's using chopsticks to pull at something from a bowl. I mean, I don't know. Oh yeah. Good investigation techniques going on here. <laughs> They uh, they have the doctor arrested, and it's all wrapped up. They did it for the love of Wolf Boy, and Dredd says, love ought to be illegal. Man, this was such a fucking... Because it's true. They were like they were actually trying to be a good family under extreme duress, and it's just like, nah, fuck them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this world just eats yeah. you up. I mean, the real answer is just like that, you know, Mega City 1's draconian mutant laws are, like, ridiculous, because you can just, like, have a kid... Like, like you, you give, like, you know, you and your partner have a child and it just turns out to be a mutant and suddenly you're open to being exiled or, um, blackmailed due to an accident of birth. Yes. Like, that's no it's good. Fucked you up. Know? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, next up, Robinson's on art and, uh, Dredd and the other judges are roaming the city as two men named Crippen and Turk meet for a giant bare knuckle boxing Man, match. I love all of the, like, People descriptions from- going on. Really, like, makes them feel human. Yeah. Definitely the um the 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 narration's really great here because it just sort of talks about like a hot city and these two blocks that have had that have been rivals uh, uh, reaching a boiling point. It's all going to be sort of released by this huge boxing match as these two fighters sort of clash against each other in a child's playpen. Need- by the way, there's like a seahorse yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they- <laughs> all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah, they meet in a uh, in like a in a playground and people from all the nearby blocks have come to watch the fight they're cheering on their chosen fighter the judges arrive on the scene but dread has them hold back and so he just has the area surrounded and waits for his call it's very godzilla let them fight yeah pretty much we, we learn that Crippen is from a block named ridgely and the two men fight savagely but finally Crippen wins there's some cool just like beats of the fight that are sort of almost um like diagrams of fighting techniques yeah, or something like that cool bare knuckle boxing also uh Crippen yeah. maybe is the one the one with the sweet ass mustache mm, yeah the one guy yeah there's one kind of african-american guy and one kind of mustache dude it looks awesome. like a fucking um, real deal pugilist 
Mm. When Crippen wins, Dredd drops the hammer and the judges swarm in the area arresting everybody. Uh, Dredd says he let the fight go to lessen the tension between the two blocks and to settle various uh, matters and stuff. And at this point, we get the big punchline to the uh, to the story, Fox, <laughs> which is that it's the George Michael and Andy Ridgely blocks. Don't know. And you'll, re- you'll recall that those are the two dudes from the band Wham? Yes. And I believe that they had broken up recently in 1986. Oh, so it's like, oh, there's rivalry between these two guys. I mean, George Michael's yeah. career sure did go places after that. I mean, I'd say he's definitely the Sean of the group. I'd say Andy Ridgely is mm. definitely the Marty that, you know, to use my pro wrestling terminology. Oh, but um, anyway. Because <laughs> the Rockers, whatever. Oh, um, so, yeah. Okay, but that's that's a joke, Fox. There's a deuce <laughs> wham. They're still fighting 177 years in the future. Bam, bam, bam. Oh, um, anyhow. <laughs> it's a curse. I mean, I liked. I mean, Judge Dredd also just mentions, like, it's good to just kind of watch a fight. I'm like, that's fucked up. Day Dread, you know, he, he gets his yucks where he can, you know. <laughs> Speaking of uh, of diversions, though, after five years in prison, uh, it's time. Uh, this time, the bonus is going to be Dread's life. Oh, oh it's the ping boing replay. And oh my God, my boy Max Normal coming back. Coming Max back Normal, so yeah. long gone. Totally. Uh, early in the night, Dread gets a call from our favorite informer, Max Normal. We haven't seen him in the prog in a long time, mm. I think, since uh, bl- since since a block mania. That is even. correct. We last saw him like Although swinging he's... around with an umbrella. Yeah, I mean, I I've been seeing him a bunch just in, in, in the Dread oh, sure. He was in the most recent one, um, where he and in those ones, he's sort of qu- he, he's mostly quit the informer mm. business. In the most recent Dread Annual, he uh, won a nightclub in an apocalyptic shuggy <laughs> tournament versus the the French uh, Maxwell Normaire. Wow, no, was it Pierre? Pierre Normier, whatever, it was French for normal. That was his last <laughs> name. That's what I'm trying to say. And he was a plaid freak, but still. Um, yeah. Exactly. Anyhow, but he's now he's back informing for Dread. He calls him Joe Baby during the call, which is a clear breach of protocol. And he's being held hostage by a bunch of criminals, and Dread immediately twigs to this, like, he called me Joe Baby. That must be a sign. Yeah, no one's going to fucking call me Joe Baby. <laughs> no way. So Dredd uh, is a. Uh, so Dredd goes to meet Max the Boingarama, and Dredd heads over. He sort of calls it into Central as like, "Hey, I'm walking into a trap. Can I get some backup?" And they're like, "Sorry, everybody's busy." He's like, "Fine, I'll just go into this <laughs> trap, I guess." <laughs> really seems counterintuitive, but sure. I mean, just do that. I mean, you know, I mean, he like he'll it. get backup if he can, if he can. But Dredd can handle it. He's Judge Dredd, you know. He just doesn't want um, to get shot so, too many times. Mm mm. So at the Boingarama. So it's the he 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 goes to the boing arama where you get in a big boing ball and become a human pinball. Please assume that I'm putting uh, registered marks next to uh, boing every single Which time I say it. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> Dread sees Max tied to a flipper and uh, goes to save him when a voice comes through a loudspeaker. It's Braca, a guy Dread arrested at the ping boing center way back in the 1981 Dread yeah. Annual Fox, which you and me covered the first Dread Annual. This is like a huge callback. It's pretty rad. I like that. Yeah. I like that he's coming balls. back, and I also oh. I really like this idea of being suspended in a pinball. Boing's kind of totally. Cool. Yeah, it seems like it. It's it 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 seems really fun in the annual, and I think it's really interesting that th- with this one and a previous one, we're both sort of Robin Smith drawn dread stories that referenced stories in um in previous annuals, which is kind of interesting. Things sort of bring those into the prog. Hell yeah. Yeah, a ping, a, a pin boing ball is released. It's got a bomb inside of it, you know, as you do. <laughs> um, 
Dredd frees Max and the two start running but are caught in a blast and Max's arm is broken. Dredd's had enough of this and luckily this time he brought his lawmaster bike with him so instead he just sort of shoots the perp that's controlling Which all this. Is, is your bike not the backup? The I mean it's definitely done backup things like I think previous times we've seen it like burst in on autopilot yeah. and shoot up the place you know. It does a lot of that. That's why he was so confident I guess. Yeah that's yeah. fair. He shoots a Another one, and then uh, he smashes another guy with his own boing ball. Things wrap up pretty quickly, and Max is taken to the hospital. He doesn't want to be an informer again. One replay is enough. Uh, oh, he'll be back. <laughs> yeah, you get it. Yeah. Next time, the peeper. <laughs> oh, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, it should be a weird one. That sounds a little skeezy. Hey, it's always kind of skeezy and kind of weird in Judge Dredd, Fox. But speaking of things that are kind of kind of skeezy, but definitely kind of weird, <laughs> <laughs> it's Thrill 2 Metal Zoic. That lady does not wear a lot of clothes, man. <clears throat> Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Listen, like, you know, you got you to gotta have something for the fellas, I guess, in this unrelenting uh, uh, robot ape story, Fox. I mean, space babes, right? Always. Uh, so script robot Pat Mills, art robot Kev O'Neill, letting robot John Costanza, and we, yeah, we're, so we're back in Metal Zoic. I'm 100% sure that Metal Zoic should be seen as a musical, as uh, <laughs> Jewel, the human, and her robot monkey friends are in this Earth rescue station, apparently, and it's got a nice high-tech waiting room with, uh, you know, with a way to get off Earth, and we see uh, Jewel sort of talking about how technology is great, which could easily be like sort of a, uh, these are a few of my favorite things style. Wow. Like song, you know? Like here's a toilet she's, she's, that we can poop in, and yeah. here's a couch that she I. She sort like. of wanders. Yeah, she kind of wanders around talking about technology, and then like you know maybe the the refrain would be like the robots being like, well, "What is it? How does it work?" Blah blah blah. Oh you know, my god! Put, putting their heads in the toilet, etc. <laughs> you, you you can see how it works. That's I, what I'm trying I to say. I love it. Um, <laughs> so what's what's the part of the song where they fall into a giant vat of digestive fluid? Well, yeah, I mean, that's sort of at the end and sort of merges into another one, you know. The, uh, the the place is strangely empty. The magazines in the waiting room are blank pages. The whole place smells like grass to Armageddon, the head robot ape, and it reminds him of a Traffid he once had as a pet as a kid. And I guess Traffids are shape-changing plants that eat robots and people. But mostly um, people, and I, I guess. guess. That, like, they like people the best. And suddenly our heroes are dropped into a big alien bay. Although I guess maybe they just like organic, like a uh, meat, and humans are the only meat left. Yeah. Like all the animals are robots now, or something like that. Yeah, it's just weird. Mm-hmm. I, it started filling up with stomach acid in this giant room. Yeah. Ah, God, it was terrifying. Yeah, the whole place sort of turns into a big stomach. It's very um, Guardians of the Galaxy two, like when Drax oh, yeah. is like in the in the belly of the thing well, and can stab his way out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I gotta say, I find these Traffids very confusing. Their name is clearly a reference to two of the Triffids, the deadly plants of classic British sci-fi. Sure. Um, but otherwise, they're just sort of like plants that turn into things and eat people, I guess. And they must have served some purpose in the in the before time, the long, long ago, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love Beyond Thunderdome callouts. <laughs> Always, man. Um, so, listen, they're, they're going to get... Um, all seems lost until one of the RoboApes is revealed to have a big grenade, a, which, a, a minor bird egg, they call it, which is total Deus uh, grenade. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say context fucking situation bullshit. 
Yeah. Anyhow, that lets them blow themselves out of the place. They're about to, there's about to be a big fight between them all when word comes that the wildebeests are coming. It's a really good um, see, fucking shot. Oh, God. You know, this, yeah. uh, it's the reveal when you realize their true size later, man. Mm, yeah. Oh, I'm so, I, I was just like, yeah, I, big, I just didn't get why these things were such a big deal, but this really was this whole foreboding thing. Definitely, yeah. We're getting a sense like Amuk, the leader, the, the 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 god beast, the wielder beast, is leading his his herd quickly. We see him like scanning the sky, and he's got a real sense of urgency for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, due to a previous what like a giant um, robo snake attack, yeah. he needs a new leg, and to fix his leg, he needs metal. And where can he get it? Guess we're gonna find so, some people to get metal. Yeah. From. Definitely. With a nemesis gone, Metal Zoic's in the color pages now as the uh, Kaka, the uh, robo-apes, prepare to fight the wildebeests, and Jules socializes with the lady robo-apes. We <laughs> learn a well. bit about how robot babies work, which is basically like you sort of build them from plans, and then as it sort of grows, you replace parts to more grown-up parts, which, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't know why they're mimicking this in that way, but that's fine. I mean, that's what happened. God, do you remember that movie Robots where like it was a CG movie and like Robin Williams did one of the voices? It was like in the late 90s, maybe or early 2000s. But that had a that similar thing where included? like, um, no, it was a, it was like a, a cartoon movie, but like huh. they, that, that, that was really kind of, you had a robot and they started as like a, as, as like a baby and then you sort of upgrade its parts as it grows up. Basically, it's very weird. Um, anyway. Huh. So no, um, I've never seen this film. Oh no, wait, I have. Oh yeah. Oh, this is creepy. Yeah, it was weird. It was it was one of these like early kind of CG movies. You know what I mean? Oh, it's creepy. Like things are kind of weird looking, and it's just sort of you know just a lot of like Robin Williams vamping all over the place and stuff. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but so uh, Judge uh, Juggerjook, the uh, the Shamek shows up and says Jewel might have to die, and we learn a little about history. Uh, the Shamek says that Inti, the robot god within the Earth, slept for millions of years, but then awoke, and robots took over. And Jewel says that that's not nah, right. Dog. And instead, we, yeah, instead we get another musical number. This one's about how the uh, Earth's magnetic core reversed. Which what? And, the cosmic rays killed most organic life, letting the robots take over, and this does not go over well. No. In fact, it really, know, he really these, doubles down on the sacrifice at that point. Yeah, the uh, these primitives are not into having science explain their gods. Just let, no way. let these really strong robots have their weird robo-religion. Yeah, it's not like this is a uh, someone's wrong on the internet kind of situation. Yeah. You gotta let it go. Uh, but anyhow, Armageddon, like, so they start to sacrifice her and Armageddon doesn't care. Instead, he recalls how he was once well, how, how as like the, uh, to decide who was going to be chief, he was once welded to a giant iron ball and the, um, as part of an ordeal. And so he like reached out to Inti and their waves lengths came into phase and he was able to pump iron Which, and become super strong. Yeah. And then and just crushes right. Yeah. It was awesome. He just like rips his arm off and then rolls the like ball backwards yeah. to crush the dude oh yeah then rebuild him and just so he can torment him because he's a real evil dude i mean um, he's fantastic yeah and you know just before jewel can be executed the uh word comes in the wildebeest are here like right here we're under attack which you, I, again like all this lead up i was like well why is that a big deal Next page or next uh, next prog is yeah. just like giant elephants with laser cannon trunks that are like five thousand billion times the size of these tiny apes. Yeah, they're just 
Yeah, they're all like gigantic. They're all like bigger than like dump trucks. They're like those uh, like like big like mining things that are impossibly huge. Oh, all rolling through, destroying everything. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, the Mankaka attack or the the, uh, the 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 wildebeest are attacking the uh, Mankaka uh, uh, tribe, and things are going real bad. They're just getting smashed and crushed and everything. Even Armageddon gets run through by a spike on a wildebeest's trunk. That's oh, it's so, so cool! Awesome. You always carry admit, your yeah. uh, Swiss Army trunk, you know? Definitely. I'll admit, when I first saw this, I got confused and thought that it was the uh, it was the apes attacking the wildebeest instead of the other way around. Mm. I feel like that's something that, that, that might have gotten lost by having the wildebeest show up in one issue and then be it and then the, the fight be the one after that a week mm. later as opposed to a page later or something like that. I don't know. Um, but... <laughs> Um, the, uh, the god, but this means that the god beast has gone, has, has gone rogue. Oh my god. The village has been destroyed, including Armageddon's mate, Kula, and he's like, the god beast must die. Where is your religion now, weirdo? Yeah. Meanwhile, the metal from the, uh, from the, from, from the village is being used to forge a new limb oh, for a man. monk, the god beast. So there's this line where it's like, Attila watched as a muck pumped molten metal into one of his cows. And I was it's like, interesting. all right. Well, because it, like, it seems like the uh, the female wildebeests are also like factories to make spare wildebeest oh, parts I'm, and stuff. I'm getting that. I'm getting what they're putting down. There was, some, there was some sexual bits to that, and he's just getting real pissed. Oh, yeah. Watching metal Animal getting spy. pumped That's into his <laughs> Yeah. During these repairs, the young bull at, uh, Attila seizes his chance and attacks Amok. The two massive robo-mammoths fight, and this just becomes awesome Kev O'Neill action really scenes is. here. These giant machines smash into each other. But in the end, Amok is triumphant, and Attila is thrown into the air and explodes. God damn. I guess if you're going to kill your son, do crazy. it that way. Yeah. Listen, a muck uses his radar dish to scan space again. He hears a noise getting louder, and there's no time for repairs. The herd must move on quickly. All right. Sweet. Where are we going? Yeah. I, we'll find out. I guess the remaining men, uh, Makaka are after the wildebeests following their tracks. It's clear Muk has just lost a leg, and they're headed into the mountains to the pits of Zinja, where Jewel was brought up. Luckily, she knows a shortcut. Hey, great. Good thing As, we didn't just slaughter yeah. this human, I guess. I guess not. Um, mm. As they watch, uh, Jaggerjug pleads with Armageddon to not kill the god beast because it's immortal, but Armageddon isn't impressed by that. I mean, you know, if it's... Oil, Im- kill it, yeah, it but if, you, if you're like, he's immortal, you can't kill him, then it doesn't matter yeah. that he's going to go and kill him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jaggerjug also says like he taught Armageddon everything he knows. Like, hey, I didn't teach you how to like uh, operate on your brain and become a ruthless killing machine for this, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. They soon arrive at Zinja, and it's this, this huge series of craters with rows of rocket ships all over. Yeah. It kind of looks like a spaceport, but the rockets are all actually tra- uh, traffids that the Zinja farm for their sap, I guess? I don't know. Sure. This part, like, all the traffid stuff is very confusing to me, I must admit. Yeah, I don't get it. The Z- the Zinja welcome Jewel back, sort of, but they say she's got to die, too, because of the uh, the dude that died earlier in the story sort of you know died and they're not not happy about it i mean it. these people also just <laughs> um, don't look normal so no they're very like they've got like you know kevin doesn't have a ton of time to do this but i really like that they've got a lot of like uh 
like sort of cargo cult rocket worshipper stuff going yeah. on. Like they got like like they're like they're they're sort of neo primitives with like bones to their noses, but the bones look like rocket ships and stuff. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's interesting. They they are obsessed um, with their weird you know, traffic rockets. Yeah, and then there's kind of another song as um like the Zinja and the uh, Makaka sort of argue, and we yeah, kind of realize like that they're actually not that similar kind of or, thing. Or, yeah, exactly. Like they're they're not that different, and they both kind of like you know want to survive, are jealous of their resources, and want to kill Jewel. You know, wow, <laughs> like everybody's into that. <laughs> um, fantastic, but things uh things are, are are getting pretty tense until suddenly in the dark the eye beams of the wildebeest God. shine out and it just looks so cool it's oh, uh, man it's fucking terrifying if i saw something like that because it's just this full page of darkness and then like these giant these two giant lights beaming down on them like spotlights it's really neat um so they, uh, the, the wildebeest have arrived and they start piling into the craters of the Zinja base, seemingly burying themselves alive. Jewel says they're here to die. This is going to be a wildebeest's graveyard because a muck would rather kill his tribe than give up control. Which, hey, but, all right. <laughs> yeah, but not if Armageddon kills him first. Let's fight. Just think maybe it's like a logical leap, you know? Like, you don't know that's why he's doing mm. it. He could just be a fucking crazy, like, guy now. Yeah, well, I think they are saying that 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 that, that he's a crazy guy now. Just they're sort of also giving. All right, I know in retrospect what his, what his crazy plan is. <laughs> Maybe I didn't use my best words. We're just gonna leave it there. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Next time on Metal Zoic Evolution. Ooh, man, I gotta say, like, so like the plot of Metal Zoic, I find to be kind of confusing, oh, and jumping around I and mean, stuff like that. It's not as like, bad as like uh, uh, sooner or later. But it does get a little bit mm. difficult to follow sometimes. It's it's definitely got one of these things where um where it's it's a total just like all right we're dropping you in the deep end of the pool and like you're gonna have to deal with that buddy and like even like the fish out of water character Jewel like knows a lot of stuff and doesn't have to be and sort of assumes a lot of things mm. you know so like it's very hard to sort of learn what the heck is going on well, and, and how the how the heck things are working. I mean, she would act as your normal surrogate character, you know what I mean? Yeah, but she's just like a know it all and sort of abrasive and stuff like that, so it doesn't work that well. No, I will say like. And, like, this is something that's going to uh, uh, plague Metal Zoic a little bit. Next episode is just going to be a full-on info dump for at least one prog. Oh, God damn but, it. Um, I think it's going to be kind of interesting. We're, we're, we're right at the end of the story here. But, you know, <clears throat> anything I can say about the plot is um, is sort of – is brought back up to being awesome by Kev O'Neill's amazing art. Oh, I mean, the way he draws all these robots – and all the action and stuff is is really amazing and just like I can't you know it just it really draws you in and just creates stuff that you know is is one of a kind and really great and really uh, like you know all the all the different animal hybrids the scale of them the way the action scenes meld together and you just get a sense of like the the visceral violence being done and, like, and he, is, is really great. He does do a lot of uh, metalimal versus metalimal violence that I'm really getting yeah. into. Just the the two mammoths facing off was maybe one of my favorite fights within this month. Absolutely. 
Yeah, um, and totally. also there's this character that you've mentioned a few times who's in this thing called Jewel, and every time I read it, I read it as Gem, like Gem and the Holograms, and then I kept mm-hmm. like every time I read a new thing in or read her name, I just kept hearing, hearing but we're the misfits, our songs are better, we're the misfits, the misfits, and we're gonna get her. <laughs> like everybody seems to be wanting to kill uh, like little old Jewel. That's totally outrageous, buddy. I fucking oh. love you. And let's keep the Pat Mills Power Hour going. Oh, the Pat Mills uh, Power Half Hour here with um, Thrill Three Nemesis the Warlock. Oh man, there's just Skip, yeah. there's, this whole thing looks like the fucking front of a metal album. Seriously, one hundred percent. Like actually, sort of possible. I think. Yeah, um, it's just so beautiful. Yeah, scripted by Pat Mills, art by Brian Talbot, letting about Steve Potter. Pat Mills Power Hour continues as we get just one nemesis here with his nemesis Torquemada and the rest are attacked by the monads. Which, I mean, just for like a hand wavy sort of explanation, it's a mind cloud of electromagnetic energy that was created from sucking the goo people that people became in the super future into your evil engine for power into the past where you're from yeah and then shooting their spirit energy like some kind of elron hubbard fucking nightmare scape into the universe mm. for their bad emos to go around and give you thetans and e-meters or whatever the fuck these are definitely yeah just the the thetans made uh made manifest attacking everybody <laughs> kind of um, yeah i had a that there a uh, a cloud of, in, of incarnated demons spawned the pollution unleashed by the evil grandmaster Torquemada's scheme to refine the goopy substance <laughs> that future humanity devolved into as fueled for his semi-futuristic war machine. All right, you know some, some people <laughs> wrote their stuff. Oh yeah, I'm fucking impressed, Mister yeah. Way with words. <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy for planning ahead. <laughs> uh. You know me. My name is is Plan Ahead Fox. Listen, this is why, you know, we're like the, the, the original odd couple here, buddy. Oh, you know, like, I don't whatever. like to plan. Well, I like to plan. How are we ever going to yeah, get one along us, in the same house? One of us one of us smoking cigars, the other of us picking it up with their umbrellas, etc. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. I'll tell you what these what these monads aren't, Fox, and that's Leibniz's concept that all of us are contained inside individual cell-like beings known as monads that all exist separately, oh never actually touching each other, but instead sending waves of influence at each other, which we interpret as the world around us. Basically, what if we're all brains in a jar, bro? Oh, my God. Anyway. <laughs> I love you, Conrad. Monad theory, buddy. You're gonna want to look it up. Get some Leibniz in you. I'm gonna, you know, because right now, because listen, Fox. All right. Whether we're being confronted by a crazy monster cloud or post-Cartesian cosmology, I... uh, Torquemada <laughs> does what he always does, which is start preaching his message about the unifying hate of the alien. With aliens around, all humans are white men now, buddy. Oh, my God. It, it's ridiculous. It, the whole tirade is fantastic. It really is just like the rantings and ravings of a crazy man. I mean, I have, I will say that I have heard people, like, definitely, I've heard a certain kind of stand-up comic say that, that aliens would end all race, all interhuman or intrahuman racism, because it's hard to be um, angry at somebody with dark skin when that other guy's got, like, uh, like Klingon forehead ridges and stuff. I'm skeptical <sighs> about it. I think it's weird. Just the term, you're all white men now, is weird. 
<laughs> like, I don't know if I like it. It's, um, but you know who does like it, Fox? Oh, uh, and that's Candida Torquemada. She loves it. I mean, she has just <laughs> turned the fuck on. The power of his voice. Uh, meanwhile, Purity Brown is not a fan. Oh my! Anyway, I love it's time no, to go. The back and forth is important because in one of them he's oh, like, yeah. "Don't don't truck with aliens, basically, or don't don't truck with extraterrestrials or some shit." And she's just like, "How can you like listen to that?" And she's like, "He's just listen to his power." And she's like, "Oh yeah, you're all about the power, right?" And she's like, "Oh yeah, what's your excuse?" Maybe you should listen to my husband's warning about having uh, to truck with an alien extraterrestrial. Like, kind of... Oh! Kind of like, yeah. Called her a hoe. Yeah. <laughs> you want to bone a, a dragon demon? The fuck do you think I think about you? It was just like such a rich burn from Candida. The racist. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Never forgive, never forget, never have fun. Yeah. Oh, that's it's a good one. But oh man, be pure and never have fun. Uh, sorry, I've got to be pure and yes. never have fun. All right, I'm done. Wake up in the necropolis light. <laughs> the grandmaster says you gotta get your mind right. But <laughs> you're still number one. Be pure, be pure and never have fun. Uh, never have fun. Uh. <laughs> Oh my god, oh, space spinner guys have gone insane. Oh, this is so this is so great. And yeah, Monet attack! Oh, and I guess you can't do shit about it either. Mm-mm. No, they're just sort of a murder cloud of, uh, again, post-Cartesian concepts of life. God damn um, it. The, a demon flies by and cuts off Ataki's head, and he goes on autopilot. Indeed, his head is removed, just like all of our heads might be removed and stored in jars, and we wouldn't be oh able to understand a concept of the world beyond our own senses that are connected to our brain. But anyway. Uh, what the fuck? Ataki <laughs> goes on autopilot until Mequig just stumps over and crunches him Which, to death. Uh, um, oh, man. This leads to some cool demon fighting, but the ABC Warriors are soon overwhelmed. They're hit by energy bolts and disconnected, and things look bad to be continued. Yeah, I mean, they look pretty shitty. Everyone's dying because a ghost cloud is killing you. Merton, that's the worst kind of cloud, Fox. I, or no. Well, I guess, yeah, like that rat cloud and the cursed earth was pretty that, bad. So basically any weaponized cloud, right? Like, dude, no one yeah. wants to... What was that shit that they used to spray in the U.S.? Like, delousing like fucking DDT? gas. Yeah, DDT, that shit's yeah. bad. Mustard gas, that's pretty bad. That's just a death cloud. Yeah, even, uh, even a regular water cloud's going to be weaponized in 1987, coming soon in Zenith. What but anyway, fuck? um... Speaking of things coming soon, Nemesis the Warlock will return in Prague 500. Okay. Well, that's good. That's not so far. Yeah. Not so far. I'll say that it's kind of interesting. Like, this Nemesis story was just here and gone, like six Progs. You know? Yeah, what the it's fuck? It's very... I think I said last time, but this feels very modern to me. Like, mm. this is sort of how pro how stories go nowadays in, like, you know, 2019. What? Where... Well, like, I mean, maybe not six weeks, but very much like uh, the story is just like each anyone thrill kind of comes in to get to a big cliffhanger and then it sort of goes away for a little while as opposed to, I feel like sort of more classic 2000 AD where if something's in here, it's going to be here for like six months or, or a year or something. Like yeah. That. And then you get to a whole yeah. Ace Garb situation. Yeah. It means things much more sort of 
duck in and duck out. And so this concept of a story that's just like, all right, like it's going to be here for six weeks, just kind of, you know, go from the last, you know, resolve the last cliffhanger and go to the next one mm. and then be out for a little while. Well, I guess we get to is trade. very much sort of the new thing. We get the trade for, I guess, two future shocks written by Neil Gaiman, one which doesn't feel like him and one that's just like, ah, oh, yeah, that's Neil Gaiman. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think you know what I mean. But, yeah, but before we get there, let's just get some uh, um, some business out of the way with non thrills, covers, and nerve centers. Sick covers this fucking month, man. Yeah, there's some good ones, man. Prog 487, when the ectoplasm hits the fan, it's a cool Brian Talbot nemesis cover with monads in the background. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I just love, I love how Talbot draws this fully clothed nemesis with like his big spacesuit and stuff like yeah, that. That's really awesome. It looks awesome. It's very leathery. Yeah, definitely. It's, 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 it, I think it's actually got like a Luke Skywalker and Star Wars kind of feel yeah, to it. Yeah, a little bit. But maybe that's just like, it's, it, 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 it's kind of like, uh, like the elastic or like the, uh, kind of rumpled parts. I always, I always thought like, cause this is, this is very 80s. I always thought it weird, like you have this kind of, onesie over the top of the outfit where you've got like this crotch pad that goes all the way to your shoulders kind of look it's like how do you get that on yeah one hoof at a time i guess yeah black magic obviously oh that's fair (laughs) in the nerve center thargamata laments the end of nemesis look for part two of book six soon and then plugs the best of 2080 number 13 there's a picture of Nemesis, Credo Needs You, awesome. and letters about the killing video game, questions about the Spot the Perp picture from a while ago, mainly about like how judges being in ads were counted as crimes, <laughs> and uh, parents saying 2000 AD is for only for kids. Get out of here, parents. <laughs> no stinking moms Mid- and dads allowed. Yeah. Absolutely. Next, uh, mid prog, there's some, there's this, there's more of this, uh, continuing D&D comic. That's sort of, you yeah. know, it's kind of crudely drawn, but I think it's, it, it's kind of fun. I love these guys because they're just sort of killing monsters like huge jerks, which feels very D&D. It's <laughs> pretty um, true. And there's all, and, and then in this sort of, in one page of the big wall of ads, there's just a little, pa- uh, a picture of Tharg sort of teasing the coming of prog 500. We're really close to it, Fox, Ooh. now. Oh, man. Proc 488, we are the law. Awesome. UK meets Britsit in a Brent McCarthy cover. They're back-to-back fighting dudes. I like that 90% of the smaller picture of the Britsit judge is just his helmet. <laughs> you know, well, it's it's, it's, it's kind of the, the, the lion of the Britsit helmet meeting, like the eagle of like the, uh, of the, of the American helmet. Oh, sure. Meeting. I just mean you get mostly chin with dread. You get almost only yeah. helmet with... Uh, Chip? I can't remember his name. Yeah, L- listen, you know the uh, they don't got the strong they don't have strong chins in England, I guess, or something, <laughs> or maybe just their their uh, their uh, breeding programs didn't focus on it. Is that <laughs> they just got cone heads instead. Yeah, in the nerve center, Tharg the droid laments the end of Nemesis. That Metal Zoic is in the color My pages now. That's picture. a good thing. He, he doesn't lament that. My yeah. favorite picture um, in all of the progs this month is the one you're going to say next. <laughs> Oh, the picture of Max Blubba? That's the fatty so, Max Blubba? That's, that's so, pretty funny, buddy. It's fucking great. Oh, I'm so happy. There's questions about the cover of the sci-fi special, some uh, and some and the existence of some chopper graffiti and hell trekkers. Mm. A kid leaves his prog just around where someone else can find to spread thrill power. And uh, the D&D comics continues. The guys are following a treasure map when they're attacked by a swamp monster. Oogie. 
Yeah. For an 89, the god beast must die. Awesome. Armageddon's coming right for us. Kev O'Neill cover. Yeah, he's just jumping right for us. This is actually, it's kind of a classic one. I think you see it a fair amount when they sort of do cover montages. Mm. Reminds me a bit of Mongrel. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's that same sort of like big kind of ape robot doing stuff mm. for sure. Um, in the nerve center, Tharg the Amazing, a literal maze Tharg, announces the end of Rage. And promises never to resurrect Wolf. That's for hack comics. Oh, <laughs> There's oh. a, compu- a computer-drawn picture of Be Pure, Be Vigilant, Be Hive yeah. with an insectoid Tarkamata. Yeah, it's a pun. You got it. There's poems about Tharg and an ode to John Howard, the pseudonym that wrote Dread before TV Grover, but still both of them were John Wagner for the record. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <clears throat> Mid-Prog, there's an ad for a Dandare video game from Virgin Games that seems to be based on classic Dandare. Definitely not the 2008 AD version. Yeah, interesting. You know, he's got a suit and a tie. That's how you can tell the difference. <laughs> um, and in Prog 490, there. it's a ping-boying... Yeah, it's a pinboying replay. Robin Smith draws some pinball action, and it's Max Normally's back. I love that, man. Looks great. Yeah. In the nerve center, Tharg the Bard announces a new Strontium Dog story that Metal Zoak is coming to a close and that Prog 500 is on the horizon. Hmm. It's a picture of Judge Pig, and I love that all of like, the eagle stuff in Dread has been replaced <laughs> by pig stuff, it's like true. on his shoulder and belt and stuff like that. There's also letters about sending progs to a buddy in the Falklands, a dentist with a 1978 annual in his waiting room. Uh, you know, enjoy Phantom Patrol, you lousy kids. Wow. And uh, <laughs> mid-prog, there's a cool ad for a new album from The Fall with cool art. And then there's a Halloween episode of Eagle, and it's got two apostrophes in there. <laughs> Is that how you Brits talk about Halloween? Like H-A-L-O apostrophe O-W-E apostrophe E-N? Because I was looking for puns, and I wasn't finding any. Hall- that seems like a ridiculous O-N. way to do it. That's what I'm reading. Halloween! Yeah. You know, just call it like a Sawin or whatever. You have uh, druidic freaks. Anyway. Wow. Now you're cool. It's good times. <laughs> Just don't bring, don't don't get too mad. We don't. I I have a hard time contemplating what your culture is trying to say to me. <laughs> and speaking of Conrad's unbridled anger, it's wow. for Ace Trucking Co. Oh God, uh, I'm just gonna be here when you need me to say something to actualize me still being here. Let me know. Yes, uh, script robot Alan Grant, John Wagner's Grant Grover, art robot Asmobel Ardenelli, letting robot Tony Jacob. So, on the search for a treasure chest, the crew, which is uh, the two aces, Garp, Feek, and Evil Guts, rescue film critic Melvin film critic Melvin Blarg from being lynched by the people of Silent Movie Town. They're in a future California where everybody thinks they're in a movie. It's a whole deal. Some silent cowboys give chase. And when Blarg gets lasted off the side of their Jeep, then the Keystone Cops show up and suddenly Blarg and one of the aces is holding on to the ankles of a line of Keystone Cops as they're dragged behind their police wagon. Yikes. Anyway, uh, the cops are flinging themselves all over, knocking over a line of Charlie Chaplin's and stuff. Suddenly, another car full of Keystone cops comes up and start Billy clubbing Ace and Melvin and all that stuff. The cop car goes over a ramp, a conveniently placed ramp, as, as we're told. And suddenly, Feek is part of the daisy chain as well. Evil Guts hits the cop car with a cannon, and then it crashes. Ace, the Ace's garp. Um, or, or, sorry. And then when the, uh, when the place, when the, uh, Truck crashes, Ace Garp grabs the map from Melvin, the boys take off. Now Ace has the whole thing, though 
as they um, as they drive off guts quickly takes the map from ace once again tries to make the term garpy happen it's not going to happen and when night falls over the desert uh which i guess was where they film all the all the westerns and wily coyote movies and stuff the team makes camp the main crew makes a plan to ditch evil guts. First, Ace tries to whack him over the head with a with a with a wrench, but that doesn't work. Instead, Feet gathers various herbs and berries and brews a ghastly brew and a cauldron. Why not try some evil guts? Finally, uh, Guts drinks Feek's concoction, drinks a lot of it, and after drinking and burping and farting a bunch, with, with a sudden gluck, he falls down unconscious, and one of the aces grabs the map. They're headed to Horrorville, specifically the house on Haunted Hill. Feek doesn't like the sound of it, but they're still headed out. Hours later, Evil Guts comes to and swears revenge, as always. The Garps and Feek roll into Horrorville. It's super spooky, as you'd expect. It's nighttime with the big full moon, Screaming Skull Bar, a place called Sweeney Todd, standard stuff. They ask a guy for directions. He suddenly sees the moon and turns into a wolf man. The reality bomb must have hit this, must have made a direct, a direct hit right here. And next time, he's trucking the Curse of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read it. I, say, um, I read it. Yeah, I'm more. I'm like a little bit more amenable to these horror movie jokes than the uh, than the silent movie jokes, which are very like a little bit over my head. Even at this point, we're just sort of like I just don't really know a lot of the stuff. I sort of know the term Keystone Cops, but I've never seen one of the old movies or anything. Um, the only thing I own uh, owed Ace Garp was to read it, and I did that. And I'm done. <laughs> That's all I... Yeah, not great. Yeah, I feel like we're now sort of like like looking at our watches for a scarf. Kind of like, all right, like enough. Okay, he's trucking. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready to have something else be in this position. You know I, mean? I mean... And can't say much more than that, I guess. And this is, this is coming from two people who, once again, I mean, we like this comic. Uh, we just don't like it right now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like... Oh, making these movie references feels a little lazy almost, yes. I guess. I mean, like, are we are, are we just going to, like, worst idea in the universe this whole thing and just, like, every every time we have to read through and we get to Ace Garp, we're trying to find our shining light? Almost. Like, but, I, I mean, I'm tearing this thing apart. You're right. It is lazy. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say like, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm tempted to just because we have like two, like three more episodes of this story. Oh my god! <laughs> um, like I will say that, like you know, again, like Belladonnelli art, Belladonnelli's art, of course, remains masterful. This is all really fun. Like the action of the actual like Keystone cops flying around and stuff is 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 kind of funny. It's just like I feel like we're hitting the same beats over and over again with these stories. And, you know, like, I, I, I feel like, again, like, the, especially the silent movie stuff has really been a slog for me. It just doesn't, like, a lot of the stuff isn't instantly funny to me, and I feel like you have to do that. For, I just don't even know what that, kid a, a in the comic. 80s would even find that funny either. It's, I mean, it's pretty true, I guess. Like, I feel like, you know, at this point, like, I, I know for me, like... You know, we're in '86. I'm like getting to the like we're we're getting into the years where where like a young a, a handsome young Conrad could have like been in the target demo for this comic. You know, <laughs> so like sure. I'm trying to think of like if this would have appealed to me as a kid, and I don't think I would have gotten a lot of this stuff. You know, although I think the horror movie stuff that we're going into is a little bit more familiar, and I think you know there might be a little bit you know a chance for some more humor coming up. But Whoa. I'm just really tired of the relationship between Evil Guts and uh, the Aces. I gotta say, my uh, it just feels like it's it's bad. <clears throat> my shining light is the Castlevania shot in 490. 
There you go. Definitely. That's I like what that you too. Get from me. Definitely. <laughs> All right, well, Fox, um, speaking of things that we found disappointing, <laughs> let's go to the opposite of that. Oh? With Thrill 5 Strontium Oh, Dome. gosh, okay. <laughs> I was like, we're not going to be, we're not saying future shocks. <laughs> no, buddy. The Stront, buddy. Oh. Yeah, speaking of things that uh, we like and where other people are angry as opposed to things we don't like and where we're angry. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love this fucking comic. I save it to the end now every yeah. time or was. Spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're right there, man. So, uh, script about Alan Grant and John Wagner's Alan Grant. Art about Carlos Escare. Letting about uh, Gordon Robson his Kid Robson. Johnny Alpha. He's getting to the end of his revenge. All shoulders must fall. Members. No shoulders. He's hunted down the final three members of the Max Bubba gang. Two of them have had their shoulders blown off, or their left shoulders blown off, I should say. God. They go to run, and Johnny pops up an ambush on the final member, Max Bubba himself. Bubba tries to hide behind a car, but Johnny time bombs the car and shoots Bubba in their left shoulder as well. First off, glad no one was in the car. Second off, I mean, you know he's just going to time bomb shit. Don't do that. Yeah, like, at this point, you just got to just, like, toss your shoulder up and hope that that makes him happy, you know? <laughs> Maybe try to shoulder tackle all... Yeah, uh, with the right shoulder, though. <laughs> I love how all three of these guys are running off, and they're all just, like, got their hands on their shoulder, like, oh, they blew my shoulder off. Oh, yeah, yeah it doesn't feel good. <laughs> they, uh... They get on their hover bikes and try to try to escape, but Johnny's ahead of them. He blows up their vehicles and sends them into a gulch. And they come up up out of like the the river in the middle of the gulch. Like, why don't so you come great. out and fight like a man, Alpha? It's like, did you offer that to Wolf? Yeah, he's just revenge. fuck you. I'm on a fucking rampage. That's right. Johnny shoots a nearby hillside and boulders crush Brute, the big animal member of the gang. The others, Max and Impetigo Jones, leave him behind. I am not going to shoulder that burden. (sighs) (laughs) I'm sorry. This is the last podcast. I I think I think I'm out. I think I'm out of shoulder puns. Oh, you're typing up trying to. Oh no, I'm just making sure that there are no other shoulder puns I can possibly use for this. So brutes crushed the guy. The the evil guys leave him behind, and Johnny helps like heads down, gets in his face, and just says, "I'm not gonna help you. You're gonna die here." Rage. Leaves him to die of exposure (laughs) and crushed legs. That's the worst, you know, you don't want to get your legs crushed. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's not going to be running off anywhere. He's feeling the agony of defeat. (laughs) Oh, man, Johnny Alpha should have said, I guess I got a little bit of a crush on you. No, man, because he's trying to be all grim and rageful, man. Our our, our puns are lessening this moment. That's all I'm saying. It's like like I was making dolphin jokes when when Life Sentence killed herself, Fox. Really destroying it. Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah. No, it's fine. The remaining, uh, so, so the remaining two, uh, gang members are stumbling through an alien beach on the run from Alpha. Bubba needs bandages for his shoulder. Dude, I, I can't believe t- how much of a dick he just constantly is. That he takes the fucking bandages off his face, sees his face, and then tosses the bandages like, I'm not using that. 
Yeah, gross. It's funny because, like, he's like, yeah, because every time we've seen Epitago Jones, he's sort of uh, Max Bubba's um, second in command. So, like, you know, Max Bubba's got this mutation where he's got this, like, thin thing that makes it, like, things of skin coming yeah. off his head that makes it look like he's wearing a bag over his head that's at all really times. weird, gross. When I found and out that was Epitago Jones... Yeah, that's it's it's gross. It's it's disturbing to think of. Um, <laughs> but Impetigo Jones is sort of has this like you know bandages all over the top of his head, and Max Bubba's like, oh, like I need bandages for my shoulder. I'm gonna rip them off the top of your head. And he's like, oh, your head's all gross. What happened to you? And he's like, I got Impetigo. It's not just a name, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not like fucking and, around here. I didn't name myself that for fun, like. Yeah, so Maxwell was like, oh, like your bandages are gross because I guess you've been using them to bandage yourself this whole time. Oh like, who God. would have imagined? <laughs> um, oh, Jesus. So Max keeps walking, um, but Impetigo, as he goes to get up, is attacked by this weird alien crab oh, that eats his toes off. It's, I mean, it just clips him right the fuck off. It's like a bris, but for your feet, you know? Just like snip the tip. Absolutely. Yeah, the pair keeps running, but it hurts Epitago too much. He's losing blood I mean, from both shoulder and foot. <laughs> he's getting so fucked up. He's on both ends, man. It's ridiculous. It's blood both corners everywhere. of him have blood coming out of him. Yeah, yeah. gross. <laughs> he collapses and Max just leaves him behind. Epitago prepares to make his last stand, but instead of Alpha, he's attacked by more of these killer crabs. Oh my god, they just... I love that that's how he dies. And they leave his face. It's terrible. <laughs> they don't want yeah, to eat like him. the second, like the second book of uh, Stephen King's The Dark Tower, his gunplay is no match for killer crabs. Is eating pieces off of him. Oh God! By the time Johnny Alpha arrives, <coughs> this gang member, like Impetigo Jones, has been completely skeletonized except for his gross Impetigo head. <laughs> they hate his eyes, though. Just for the record, one more down. <laughs> now the only one left is Max Bubba himself. Just for the record. Absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. Bubba's wandering through the desert, a grim Johnny Alpha bearing down on him. He tries to set an ambush, but Alpha just sort of tricks him with an empty hover bike and then shoots him through his other shoulder. Oh my god. It's just dueling shoulders. It's really bad. Dude. I mean, the surgery alone. Yeah. He's seen empty motorbikes off the shoulders of Orion, but oh. now they're all gone like tears in the rain, Fox. Oh my god. <laughs> shoulders of max bubba um are we out i think we anyway, might be out anyway but johnny stands over bubba he he says that the thought of kill he says that he hoped that killing bubba would cool his rage but he won't killing bubba a thousand times would never make up for the death of wo- the death of wolf still unlike with his father johnny's learned that everybody's worth a bullet and he shoots max bubba in the back of the head and rides off i mean the guy literally is the reason that, uh, I mean, Wolf was a shoulder to cry on. Yeah, no, he was his best friend, his only friend, really, besides, besides the Gronk, I got guess. that in there. I hope someone, I hope someone out there laughed. You know, I mean, we're, we're real codependent on it. Like, I can't take any sort of moral high ground because I did that Blade Runner thing. But, um,. I just want to say that, like, we're recording this, like, I just right after I put up the collection episode for Portrait of a Mutant, mm-hmm. and I think it's kind of interesting to see the differences with how Johnny's dealing with his nemesis here. Oh, I know. mean, he was—he used to just be a nice guy. 
Yeah, like how he, you know, because he left like his father sort of in the time warp, sort of a fate, uh, quote unquote, face worse than death, fate worse than death that came back to bite him. You know, previously Max Bubba, he just arrest, he just like, you know, let the law take care of him. Mm-hmm. Now he's being sure and just shoots him in the back of the head in the middle of the prairie. It's like nuts. Well, because like he, he would either take people in alive if he had to, yeah. or he would just finish them off super clean and quick. This one, he's been playing with them for the whole time. Definitely. So, Max Bubba, shot in the back of the head. He's dead. However, <laughs> not actually. four days later, Max Bubba comes to in a med post. Someone found his body, and he's been healed and brought back to life, artificial shoulders and all. <laughs> it's a new Bubba's man. discharged. And he, and he celebrates because he's managed to cheat Alpha of his vengeance. He's super, he's like doing fist pumps and stuff. When suddenly from behind him he hears his name, Max Bubba. It's Alpha. It's sick. Why the hell are you doing this, man? Because I hate you. And I mean, yeah, he gave he he gave Bubba false hope, and he just drops the hammer a final time and shoots five like number three cartridges <laughs> right into his chest, like blast him in half. Basically, it's, it's crazy. It's such a hardcore move. It's the coolest fucking thing. It's the way that you end your rage. And as he stands over his body, the ghost of Wolf asks Johnny if that was enough. And Johnny says, no, nothing could ever be enough for the murder of his friend. Hmm. The end of rage. Oh, that's awesome, man. You're so good. Fuck Max Bubba. I'm glad. I really, I seriously, think, I think the serious clutch move was the get him back to full health only just to then shoot him in the street like a dog. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen. Like I'm surprised there wasn't like a, a third bite at the apple. To be honest, like that was <laughs> just to know. just to keep it comedy comes in threes. Well, yeah, and just kind of be like you know, like yeah, like now we're gonna like I'm like smash you to a paste or something like that, you know? Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> like <laughs> just like, and then he kicks the he kicks the body into a volcano. Yeah, just so he can't be cloned or anything like that. Hey, no. fuck yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, but you know, Rage has been with us for a lot of months. I think like we just started right at the start of our. It's been my go-to of, of our hiatus, basically. Yeah. Um, and so we've sort of done it this whole time. It's been such an amazing story, and just like the being in Alpha's head and feeling him like get all angry and killing everybody and stuff. Oh, it's so cool. Oh, God, I just love Alpha doing his thing, and it feels. I don't feel like we've lost any momentum coming into the next story. Actually, I just I, I like it because it seems to be it's just I don't know I'm I'm excited to see him start punching some people for being real dicks. Absolutely, yeah, it's kind of a new like sort of grim, harder alpha, but a chance to uh, to show that he still ha- you, know, you know he's not just a killing machine now. He sort of got a softer side, I guess. If you start a new story, incident on, on Megar Minor. A mom and son frog mutant on the planet of Megar Minor uh, see a figure walking towards them. It's Johnny Alpha. He lost his skinner and has been walking for three days. He asks them for food and shelter and offers to pay, but Ma Frog says no. They don't want his top round here. Strontees, man. They're scary, even to mutants. That's right. Johnny agrees and heads out, but she calls him back. If he does some work, they'll feed him and let him sleep in the barn, I guess. (laughs) She has recognized him as a strontium dog, a stone killer, and nothing but trouble, she tells her son. The son, though, Scroggy, is intrigued. But when he asks Johnny questions, the bounty hunter doesn't want to talk about it. Later, some cowboys on morks burst through their crops. It's the goobers. 
And we get pretty standard uh, racism, like yeah. westerns. Well, yeah, and and westerns. Oh stuff, yeah, we're say. edging get you out. Get to the, the racism at the end here, because <laughs> like this is this is literally the plot of the movie. Of I forget if the movie's actually called Shane or if it's just the character that's Shane. You know, mm. like Shane, come back, that kind of thing. Um, where it's this sort of like a gunfighter kind of shows up on a farm and, you know, a kid, like sort of a, a kid likes his, you know, is, is interested in his reputation. The mom's like, we don't like your type and all that stuff. Um, anyway, the, these jerks want Ma Frogface to sell her farm to Rich Daddy Goober and are going to harass her until she does. They kick her down and grab Scroge. Things are getting pretty rough until Johnny steps in. Which is always uh, a gang. bad sign for these two. No, it's just, yeah, like, listen, he's got that steel in his voice that a smarter person should just be able to hear right away. <laughs> uh, the gang leader, Chinky Gruber, Jesus Christ, yeah. uh, tells his... <laughs> acceptable in the 80s, I guess. Wow. But he tells his boys to run Johnny down, but Johnny's pretty tough. He just takes him down with a wooden I, post. I mean, it's the coolest part of it. He hits one in the face with the wooden post and then throws the wooden post into another guy's face. Like a spear. It's, yeah, it's awesome. But watch out, Johnny. Chinky's going for his gun. Yeah. Next time on Johnny Alpha, Chinky Takeaway. Oh, my <laughs> God. Holy shit. <laughs> just, That's ridiculous. Just great, great job, Woo! guys. You really did it. You really you got there. And I guess that's fine. 2000 AD, the reason why we can't have nice things. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. <laughs> Yeah, and speaking of uh, of ridiculous air horns, Fox. Oh my god! It's Thrill Six Future Shocks. So I, st- I mean, I still stick by what I said. This first one, I'm like, uh, I I get that Neil Gaiman wrote it. I guess I don't see it in the writing, but oh my god, I wish mm. as soon as this started, I wanted it to be over. Yeah. So th- so uh, three, th- three three future shocks. Uh, this episode, all kind of long ones. Um, mm. First one is you're never alone with a phone. Script about Neil Gaiman, art about John Hinkleton, letting about Tom Frame. So two big premieres here, Fox. Uh, of course, for Neil Gaiman, who's only going to be in 2080 for a little bit, mm. I say, you know, cup of coffee. Um, but of course, we'll then go on to do a billion things in uh, <laughs> comics and science fiction and nerd stuff generally. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge Sandman fan. I don't know um, what you really know him for. Like American um, Gods so also I mean, is a top uh, thing for me. I liked, uh, I liked Sandman pretty good. I liked Lucifer uh, a lot more. Um, mm. I like, uh, I, I read American Gods a long fucking time ago, but I, and again, like, I read American Gods and then read his comics off of suggestion, and then for, oh, interesting. for those who haven't, and I actually, like, I went to a place and he read two of the chapters of this book out, uh, Graveyard Book, I suggested, it. it's Jungle Book as done in a macabre, uh, cemetery where a child is raised by ghosts and pursued... Um, by a Shere Khan who is just a kind of psychopathic killer. Interesting. It's pretty good. Cool. Yeah. So the uh, the other premiere here is the artist John Hinkleton, who will eventually go on to draw a couple uh, chapters of Nemesis in a year or two. Um, it's got the I don't like. It, I guess, but it's really hard it's, to see what the fuck is going on. I mean, that's really sort of the uh, the up and the down of, of his stuff. It's very distinctive and has a really strong look to it, but I feel like it can be very confusing and strange almost. Mm-hmm. 
No, strange, just uh, full stop. (laughs) Anyhow, a future teacher talks about the history of human communication from drums, smoke signals to letters, and eventually to telephone. Um, There there were vid phones and smell phones and all kinds of stuff like that. And then they figured that they needed to make smartphones, like, no, sorry, intelligent phones Mm -hmm. to deal with all the phone problems that you'd have in in your life. Uh, the problem is that soon the phones started talking to each other and the tyranny of the new robot phones were a huge deal because they were running up massive bills and stuff. It's basically yeah. a high-level view of that movie Her with uh, Joaquin Phoenix that and is, uh, Scarlett Johansson. That's a fantastic <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I liked it a lot. But this is sort of the same thing. We kind of get mm. like uh, phone things and they start doing their own thing. And it's like, oh, God, now the robots have taken over. It's like, why, anyway, why is my girlfriend AI dating a, another AI guy? <laughs> Because you don't have enough for her, meat sack. Give me a break. <laughs> like, you just got the mustache. Um, but what's to be done about these Galdern phones? We got to disconnect them all and go back to letters, smoke signals, and drums. Bam, bam, bam. Okay. I don't Fair enough. All right. <laughs> I just, I don't get it. Why did we take that yeah. journey? Hmm. Next up, it's conversation piece. Script about Neil Gaiman, art robot David Wyatt, letting about Tom Frame. This does read like so, Neil Gaiman. <laughs> I mean, it's got a very sort of yeah, like um, th- like Aura or Alan Moore too. That th- like the mm. feeling of of their future shocks. They kind of get get weird with stuff. It's just like um, celebrationings and homunculi. I don't know. It's just certain words yeah, yeah, and yeah. how he writes. It's like, good- all right, man. Definitely. So this is the first work by a Dave, Dave Wyatt, who will do a, about half a dozen more things in the prog here. We fly over the earth. It's full of buildings and monuments and stuff as voices talk about the quality of the workmanship. Apparently, some alien guys uh, employ these little creatures to build all these stuff and these little models. And once they get to a certain point... They freeze the planet, preserving it for artistic posterity. Mm-hmm. If they don't, though, the homuncules blow everything up with their nukes. Oh, it's just what they do. Anyway, I need two for my next party. It'll just take a few million years. Get a cup of coffee. I guess time is relative on the scale of massive super entities. Ba-ba-ba. And you, me, and all we know is just novelty artwork for rich aliens. Bam, bam, bam. Into that. I'd be rich artwork. Yeah, I guess I'm okay with it. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, it's going to be a <laughs> couple million years. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, be I'll, I'll live with it. I mean, although we're getting to the end of it now, I think. Well, whatever. Um, yeah. I feel like this, letting a planet uh, uh, grow and then uh, killing it all and like using it as an art piece or for resources, also what happens in uh, the movie Jupiter Ascending as well. So Ooh. whatever. <laughs> Final story, Fox. And this is the one I'm... I'm honestly, I, I like Neil Gaiman. Like, I love Neil Gaiman, and I think it's really cool that he's going to be on 2000, that, that he's doing stuff in 2000 AD. But I was also really excited for this future oh, show. This is, this one's it's called, just good. Yeah, it's called A Change of Scenery. Script robot John Smith, art robot Nick Williams, letting robot Steve Potter. First work here from Nick Williams, the artist, but he's only going to do a couple things in 2000 AD. And oh, holy shit, you guys. It's Harry Foundation and Jerry Basalt. Indigo Prime starts here. What the fuck? I'm really excited for this one. It's the start of this crazy uh, reality-bending series that's going to come to 2000 AD, but not for a long time, actually. Oh, okay. Like, not for, like, uh, like hundreds of progs, almost. It's um, these two? But it's pretty... Um, it's, like, it's related to these guys. Like, it, it's really... Comp- like, honestly, it's one of these ones that... 
Um, I'm really stoked to get to on the show because it'll give me a chance to sort of slow down and read it a little bit closer Mm -hmm. because I remember kind of getting to the point where I was like, whoa, I have no idea what's (laughs) going on. Very like a Homer watching Twin Peaks kind of situation. Um, So Harry Foundation is a dude in a jumpsuit open to the navel with a shifting (laughs) starscape on it like uh, Eternity in Doctor Strange. Yes. Um, Jerry Bass salts a guy in a cyber wheelchair. They are scene shifters for for Indocene... No, Incidents Incorporated. That's what it is, Incidents Incorporated. And they're here to save Earth from total annihilation. They can change reality to prevent disaster. In this case, uh, Gedaloich Tsunami Fleet. The Gedaloich's savagery is second only to the Bandarutha. Okay, then. Um, yeah, all you need to save the world for payment is the entire Pacific Ocean and a crate of breadsticks. I mean, that yeah. seems pretty Come fair. In- I mean, listen, it's better than being completely destroyed, I'd say. But uh, this uh, weird uh, version of Reagan says no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Just peeking out his the blinds next... and shit. He's, it's really weird. Well, this is like 1986, Reagan. You know, we're sort of on the verge of Iran-Contra and other stuff like mm. that. Um, so uh, the next day at 3.27 p.m., the alien fleet arrives. They kill everyone easily. Even fake Reagan is taken down. In a desperate move, the survivors contact Incidents Incorporated and agree to their terms. Foundation and Basalt agree to help, and suddenly the world is remade, and the attackers are removed. Sweet deal. Good thing we're keeping our end of the bargain, right? Nah, man. The governments of the world do not make with the ocean or the breadsticks. I feel like one of those is easier than the others. Yeah. You'd think so. Karma, really. Karma. Three hours later, the Bandarutha arrive and conquer Earth anyway. Like, they look way worse. They got two tons, man. That is never a fun yeah. look. They're the most savage, man. And it's yeah, like so a guy who looks like Dr. Wild. Grant is getting ripped apart in that one. So it's kind of got this event horizon uh-huh. look at the end. Totally. So anyhow, yeah, it's going to be a little while before um, Indigo Prime gets rolling. But I just say, let these guys just sort of hang out in the back of your mind until then. They'll bubble back up. Okay. In time. I mean, still, we already had start, enough yeah. weird at the end of this comic, so. Definitely. Yeah, and I feel like this is um, just sort of John Smith really starting to come up here. He's going to do a lot of stuff that I'm really excited about. He's a, he's a, he's got some, he's done some really great 2080 stuff, so I'm stoked about him. I'm stoked for him to sort of come into his own. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and speaking of things happening eventually, it's <laughs> Thrill 7, sooner or later. Oh, yeah, ben, yeah, you see how it goes. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, script about Peter Milligan, art about Brendan McCarthy. Um, I, I, I think so, Tom Frame. Um, anyhow, sure. Politics, man. I politics, know, right? Fox. Am I right? Let's make some politics. Let's make some really like I don't know. Who cares? Comments about it. Maybe we just even won't. Who knows? I just like slacker <sighs> culture, man. I, I, yeah, I don't get this. I, I, I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's good or it's bad that in 2019, I feel like, um, like elections matter and like politics is actually something that's important and should be paid attention to as opposed to just sort of like this very like, um, politics is bullshit like take. Of, like, yeah, like, <laughs> like post punk nihilistic nothing matters kind of stuff, you know? I'm there with like, you. I don't know. I, Ben, I, I feel, I used to vote every year. I don't know. Because I, f- I feel like I very much felt that I, I myself felt this way when I was like, you know, like sort of a teenager and stuff. Mm. Or I don't know. Maybe I was a little bit more idealistic, but I had moments of this. 
And then I feel like, I don't know, maybe the last 20 years have sort of put me in a place where I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean. Like, there's differences between these guys. Around the last, you know. Around the last four has really framed for me the importance of elections. I mean, indeed. Like, listen, the uh, the world and how it's changed since the start of this podcast has been quite instructive. But anyway. (laughs) God, that's right. It's a different world than October 2016. Long, long ago. (laughs) So, uh, Michael Michael Swifty Swift is running for the corporate board of the waste management company. Got a big political poster for Swifty first, full of the usual uh, political double speak. You know, we must be weak until we are strong, etc. Vote Swift. You know it mock sense. Okay, then. Which is a good time. I like that. Yeah, Um, that's pretty good. Swift does a bunch of campaign stuff. He's kissing babies, talking to minorities, hanging out with the sick and infirm. He's a good actor. That makes him a good politician. Think about it, squares. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Swift does a political ad. Again, more sort of political gobbledygook and doublespeak. Um, images are more important than actual content. I don't know if we've mentioned this. Uh, politics, God, am I right? This is like a first-year university student. I swear to God. <laughs> I mean, that's... It just feels like, it just feels so like, yeah, like baseline stuff. I don't know. It just, it's, it, it's the same sort of thing over and over. Capitalism again. is like, a flawed know, system, man. Like maybe there was an election in 86 and this is actually references to specific things that are happening or oh, something. I, mean, I can't tell. If that's the case, then how would we ever know them? But I mean, it just feel. I wish this was more pointed. That's what I'm trying yeah. to say. Like, well, I feel like they do like that with all... like the the drunkard election specialist or whatever the big yeah. balloon man. Because like this is the last yeah. Because this one's like a political roundtable and the stuff about polls and people having political opinions that are more about showmanship and pundits being vague and not and, or vain and not knowing what's happening and stuff. It's not that I disagree. It's just that it feels kind of toothless because mm-hmm. they aren't like calling out specific targets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, and I guess because it's a one-page comic, they have to kind of be to the point. But it's still like, you know, um, I'm ready for the next. Like, this campaigning stuff has gone on for like two episodes. And Look, I'm ready to sort of get to the next point. Sat- satire is only satire if it's fucking poignant to the issue. When you're talking like Jonathan Swift saying, eat babies, right? Like, what he's really saying is it's pretty fucking bad. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like. Indeed. Anyway. So. Next time on Sooner or Later, Long Shot, Kick the Bucket. Okay. I'll say also, just again, I do really like the art and like uh, oh, the yeah. way John McCarthy draws these crazy oh, scenes yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, I, my, like, I, I don't know. My, my lax response to this thing is more of like, I don't know what's going on, man. And some of the contents, whatever, but damn it. I mean, it doesn't stop it from being beautiful. Yeah, I mean, even more than Metal Zoic, I think sooner or later really shines in these color pages, and it really makes up, and it more than makes up for the uh, for the story being something I'm not like sort of trekking with. Yeah, I guess. you could just stare at this and not read the words, and just kind of be like, "Oh, Jesus Christ, something is going <laughs> on in here." Certainly possible. All right, and with that, Fox. Ah, oh, geez, we finished. Our progs for this episode, progs 487 to 490. Oh my gosh, Fox, 10 progs to prog 500. I'm pretty stoked. It seems like everyone's getting stoked for that, so I'm, I'll get stoked. Listen to me get stoked. I'm stoked. Hey. It's a it's a big round number, like that's for sure. And there's gonna be some cool stuff premiering in there. And I'm just really excited just for the milestone. Well, yeah. And once we get there, we're be... half fifty percent of the way, right? Um, I think we're like twenty percent of the way. Stop it. Something like that. Well, I mean, 
Like, I haven't really done the math, you know. I mean, like, <laughs> just we're, on our, we're on our way. I'll say that. Look, we'll you get know, there eventually, huh? Always. Listen, a, a wizard's never late, man. He comes immediately when he, when, he comes exactly when he means to. Beautiful. We're the wizards of the prog slog, my friend. Um, I call, ooh, um, wait, uh, I call the guy from The Color of Magic. Why am I forgetting his name? R- uh, Rincewind? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Terry Pratchett, man. His name is, um, uh, Rincewind? No, I think it's just Rincewind, right? Yeah, I think so. He's great. A fucking... Speaking of Neil, of, of Neil Gaiman uh, crossovers. Ooh. But with that, I have one piece of, I have one magical question for you to answer, Fox. Yes. Which is what we are talking about on Thrills for this episode. Oh, I mean, I feel this is... It's Can I copy-paste from last time? Fucking Strong Team Dog on top, <laughs> man. Like, why would it not be number one? Uh, and number... Mm-hmm. I, you know, just... I fucking... I love it. He, there were so many shoulder shots. I, I really do think this whole comedy comes in threes thing, because we were saying it at the end. Like, he shot yeah. everyone's shoulders. Like, it just got... To a point where you're like, why is he even doing it? And then there's no payoff for the shoulder shot. Like, yeah, maybe they can't pick up a gun or something, but like, but it's not even like their gun hands; it's their left arm. Yeah. it's just to it's just to like cause them injury and mess them up. You know, <laughs> but it's always the shoulder. So when you're seeing them walk down the street holding their shoulders, it's like, oh, that's actually funny. Like it's, it was good. Yeah. It's got it's it's got humor. It's got rage. And now he's gonna. Probably beat up a guy who has a very poor taste in name. And bottom man, it's Ace Garb. Mm. Don't want to talk about it. Guy, guy gave it too much space on this podcast already. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I thought that the for a second I, I like looked back and thought maybe like the uh, the shoulder injury like 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 uh, was was one that Wolf got, you know, and so he was trying no. to recreate, like, the injuries Wolf received, but that didn't really happen. Like, they sort of baked him, then he got shot a bunch of times. Yeah. But he didn't get a single shot like that, you know. I just think it was just something that just, like, here's something that hurts, and it's going to mess you up, but you can still sort of walk around, you know. <laughs> See, once especially in Westerns getting chasing. Yeah, because especially in Westerns, getting shot in the shoulder doesn't really, like, kill you or anything like that. It just sort of... Um, it's no gut shot. Like, hurts, but you've been winged, so you're okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so oh, I will agree with you, wing Fox, jokes. I'm going to say. Fuck. What? I totally missed out on wing puns that we could have done. Nah, you know, it's sort of a reach, I think. Oh, God. <laughs> sort of wing, wingspan. <laughs> you know? um, God yeah. damn. Strontium Dog, super top. Love this rage story, man. It's so great. You know, Strontium Dog... Always one of my faves, and I love this one. And you know, like I said, I just did the uh, the rage collection, so you can get a sense of where these, you know, expose the business mm. a little bit, so you can figure out when these things are, are being taped and stuff. But um, it's really interesting how that story ends, and how Johnny confronts his father and deals with that, versus how he's dealing with uh, with with Max Bubba here. You know? Yeah. It's um, awesome. I mean, it's and, all leading yeah. up into, like, I mean, at least from what you're telling me, or what you've told me, is that it, it has a an actual change on Johnny Alpha. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a different character. At the very least, like, you know, we're seeing just, you know, like the teammate. I mean, not having Wolf is a big change for John, for, for, for Strontium Dog. I think it's going to be something, and I think it's going to be interesting as we go forward and see Johnny go through a couple other new sidekicks and stuff and how that sort of changes the, the, the nature of the story. Mm. Uh, yeah, very excited for that. And yeah, again, like um, Ace Trucking, not feeling it, not real great. I'm hoping we can sort of get a second wind a little bit with the horror stuff as we get to the end because that's sort of the... 
this that's where the final parts of the story is going to play out. Okay. I mean, look, I will remain mm. optim. I will remain reading it. <laughs> I will not yeah, I mean, never like, read it. I will not never not read yeah, it. Yeah. To, to me, it feels like the end of uh, of Robo Hunter. Where oh yeah, I would like it. I would very much like it to be good. I have good memories of it, but it's not achieving that at the moment. No, if you're just going to be awkward, could you please stop after a while? Indeed. <laughs> oh man. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, SpaceSpinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at SpaceSpinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at SpaceSpinner2K. Everything else, look with SpaceSpinner2000. We should be there. Then come back next time. As Dread deals with body swappers, Johnny Alpha is down on the range, the horror of Ace Trucking continues, Metal Zoic concludes, and our buddy Slain arrives for what? a new adventure. Awesome. That's right. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's going to be... It's gonna be a big, crazy Zodiac Slain adventure. Oh, Conrad, I'm, I'm so I'm so happy. I love Slate. It's gonna be real good. Or Slanya, some Ooh, say. I mean, anyway, uh, until then, I'm Conradnya. He's Foxnya, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Why, you know, holograms, it doesn't have the right song. It's not the old one. It's like the one from fucking, like, I don't know. It's like the extended garbage intro. No, although was that good? Did you see that? I gotta stop this recording.